Since the beginning of recorded time, mankind has been fascinated with that which he can't understand, the mysterious and unknown, and has sought to provide answers for its existence. Through the mystery language of the Theosophical Society, the ancient wisdom of the early Christian cults, the widely misunderstood study of cryptozoological beings, or by revealing the true intentions of our government's elites, human beings have looked to discover the truth about the hidden inner workings of their reality. Having discovered these seven secrets, we decided to create a podcast to share these truths with the public. Whether it's shadow people, demons, and a secret intergalactic government, or angels, prophets, and a new great awakening, we've got you covered. Welcome to the Seven Secrets Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Seven Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Palmer, otherwise known as Shaman, uh, coming at you again. I'm excited today. We're going to be talking about magic, ritual, and the occult. We've got some really nice readings for you. We've got some guest theories to present at the end of this episode. Uh, But let's get started here first by talking about what's happening in the news and uh, in particular the paranormal and quote-unquote fringe news community. At first, I just want to do a little bit of self-promotion here. I recently did an interview with Aaron Wayne at Aaron Wayne's World Podcast. Uh, We had a really nice interview, and I got to share my experience with a shadow person, uh, talk a little bit about UFOs and the intergalactic government from episode one. Uh, So please feel free to check out that interview. I'll go ahead and link it in the podcast description. The second piece of news I want to go over here is just this, uh, I just briefly want to go over this article I found on uh, plants and how we have apparently been teaching spinach plants to send emails about various chemical composition in the soil. Um, It seems that this article is going a lot into how we have begun to teach plants to send certain information over email, and we've begun to be able to assess that information. And what I want to point out about this article is just that, once again, we are coming back to uh, this debate about plant consciousness in the scientific community. Uh, I find this a little bit interesting. Of course, I know a lot of people who are already aware of my beliefs and theories know that uh, I believe that all things have a consciousness. Of course, plants have a certain level of consciousness here, but is it the same as ours? Yeah, definitely not exactly the same. Nonetheless, uh, we see once again science approaching this topic. Will they find answers? I'm not sure, Uh, but you can find the link to this article uh, about our newest advancements in plant consciousness uh, in the podcast description. And that pretty much sums up all of the news uh, for this episode of the Seven Secrets Podcast. So our topic for today is going to be magic, that's magic with a K, um, ritual, um, these sorts of phenomena that are associated with magic and ritual, uh, altered states of consciousness, gnosis, these sorts of things will be the topic of discussion for today. And I guess 
the first thing I'll get into is what exactly is magic. And um, for the most part, we're going to be referring to what I like to think of as magic with a K. Um, this has been used by several different individuals and organizations, uh, including Aleister Crowley, um, to denote a more significant thought of magic, a more esoteric thought of magic, rather than us thinking of magic with just a C on the end, uh, which is usually t used to denote more uh, benign methods of magic, usually seen in pop culture, uh, movies. Uh, we might see this in literature uh, at times as well. Just very simple forms of magic that are not necessarily real. Uh, and then magic with a K it was used to denote an actual school of magic according to its practitioners, a actual um, method by which physical reality can be altered using will. And I think we can turn to one of the most prominent uh, magicians or members of this magical uh, society, Crawley himself, who... Um, defines magic as the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. Um, this is a rather broad definition of magic, and I think the audience knows I like to start with broad definitions uh, and work our way down. Uh, Crawley gives us a very good representation of magic here, and one that chaos magicians in general have really utilized to... Um, perform task in the real world, so to speak, quote-unquote. Uh, chaos magic in particular uh, seems to have a handle on this idea of exactly what magic is and how it operates. Uh, one of their theories is that in order for magic to occur, the practitioner must undergo a certain state known as gnosis. Um, uh, and in this state... The individual enters an altered state of consciousness, and in this altered state of consciousness, their mind is able to bypass that conscious barrier and enter the subconscious mind. And it is from this position in the subconscious mind of the individual that magic can occur and that the patterns, the energy patterns in physical reality can be altered. But once again, according to chaos and magic, we can only enter uh, or bypass this wall of the conscious mind when we enter gnosis or this altered state of consciousness. Now, gnosis comes in uh, two or three varieties, depending on what source you're drawing from, but for the sake of this discussion, we're going to talk about two different uh, types of altered consciousness. The first being inhibitory, uh, this meaning that the individual enters very deep trances, usually over a period of time, and by entering these deep trances or states is able to interact with their subconscious. Now, this can be done through very intense meditation, uh, very intense concentration with the mind. Uh, this can be done through breathing exercises. This can be done by sitting perfectly still using uh, uh, mudras with the hands. Uh, this can be achieved through hypnosis or also in the case of dream magic. Uh, all of these are inhibitory processes of entering altered states of consciousness. 
There's also ecstatic uh, gnosis, ecstatic altered states of consciousness, whereby through heavy arousal, the individual achieves a different state of being and is able to interact with their subconscious mind. Uh, examples of this might include dancing, might include uh, things like sex magic or uh, heavy amounts of pain as well could fall into this category. Now, when the individual enters these altered states of consciousness, it is also help, uh, often helpful for them, according to chaos magic, to have symbols that are heavily associated with certain goals or desires and then to transfer these symbols into the subconscious mind. Uh, it's through this process that the goal or desire of the magician can enter into reality. And one might wonder as well what part ritual plays in all of this magical discussion and uh, what I would suggest to you that is that ritual acts as a sort of conduit uh, for which this gnosis can be utilized. So ritual makes the whole process of undergoing gnosis easier. It also allows for that system of symbolism to be transferred to the subconscious easier. By designing a specific sort of ritual, the magician can create the state of gnosis uh, which they will be entering. Uh, they are able to create the conditions by which this altered state of consciousness will occur, and they are able to set up what sort of symbols will be suggested to them while they are in this altered state of consciousness. So things like the colors of candles, the time of day, the smell of the incense, or the specific prayer used or God utilized can all influence what happens in the subconscious mind during this altered state of consciousness. Now you begin to see why ritual is so important and why the whole scheme of the ritual uh, must go in a certain pattern. In order to create desired results in physical reality based on what is occurring in the subconscious mind. Now I'd like to take a moment to read to you a section of the Equinox, which is a uh, collection of magical writings collected by the AA, a magical organization that Crowley uh, initiated or helped set up. And what I want to read you is an account of AA or this sort of introduction uh, to volume one, number one of the Equinox. And it's uh, supposedly written, I'm going to pronounce this name wrong probably, but it is supposedly written by the counselor von Eckhartshausen, uh, and it just kind of helps establish what the AA is, what this sort of magical society really is. Uh, so let me go ahead and just read to you a section from this uh, article. It is necessary, my dear brothers, to give you a clear idea of the interior order of that illuminated community which is scattered throughout the world, but which is governed by one truth and united in one spirit. This community possesses a school in which all who thirst for knowledge are instructed by the spirit of wisdom itself, and all the mysteries of nature are preserved in this school for the children of light. Perfect knowledge of nature and of humanity is taught in this school. It is from her that all truths penetrate into the world, which is the school of all who search for wisdom. And it is in this community alone that truth and the explanation of all mystery are to be found. It is the most hidden of communities, yet it contains members from many circles. 
nor is there any center of thought whose activity is not due to the presence of one of ourselves. From all time there has been an exterior school based on the interior one, of which it is but the outer expression. We can see in this writing, uh, in this account of AA, uh, a sort of universal doctrine beginning to take shape by which the practitioners recognize many aspects of many different world religions and cultures and many different paradigms. Uh, by utilizing this sort of universalism, they can also help achieve their goals uh, through ritual and gnosis. Um, you can also see that the spirit of wisdom is brought up here. That would be Sophia, according to the Gnostics. Um, the writers were clearly very well versed in different aspects of uh, Judeo-Christian, uh, early Judeo-Christian uh, sects and writings. And they use these sorts, this sort of mystery language to help convey information to the audience. Um, you uh, see it said here that it has been a hidden community, that it's existed for a long period of time, that there have been many people that have been a part of this order. This is a sort of metaphorical society that is deeper than just the AA, that includes various members across time and space who understood these mysteries and understood this mystery language. And that is really what is being conveyed in this article here. So it is from Crowley himself that we get this sort of dissertation on this secret and metaphorical society. Um, and I would suggest to you that this goes deeper than what we think of as magic with a K, that in fact there is some deeper knowledge at work here conveyed through sacred and esoteric text um, the Bible included in this, uh, also as well, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, uh, uh, the entirety of the Old Testament, the Quran. Uh, we can go on and on. There's all sorts of sacred texts that convey this mystical knowledge. I think when we approach magic, then, we need to be aware of the fact that there is this um, grand mystery out there. And... Magicians oftentimes try to utilize these forces and this knowledge in order to create changes in physical reality. And to me, uh, we begin to approach the distinction between being a mystic or a spiritualist and being a magician. A magician, in fact, uses these forces to alter physical reality. And to some extent, we might consider this unethical. I think this is an area we need to approach. I myself have been in, pra in practice with a lot of magical activities and consider myself as well a sort of spiritualist of some sort. I, you know, study various religions and have various beliefs myself. Um, and so I feel like you need to ask yourself anytime you're undergoing uh, magical activities, is this necessary? I feel like one of the biggest questions a true magician needs to ask themselves is, can I do this without asking other forces to interfere? Can I do this without trying to manipulate the energy patterns that are esoteric and occult? For example, if you need money, can you go out and sell something? Can you get a job? Can you promote your own psychology so that you can uh, do better in a specific field. I, th these are things that will ultimately contribute more to your life than trying to perform a ritual and get some uh, deity to interfere. Now, 
That's not to say that magic doesn't have its purpose, and it most absolutely does. When magic is best used when there is no other alternative, and when it seems to have been sanctified by this quote-unquote deity, when there is uh, no other alternative and you have communicated with these forces through divination, through prayer, through meditation, and you see this as being the best possible option, and that is very subjective, and that's left up to every individual, and I think every individual over time will come to understand whether or not what they're doing is right or wrong within fulfillment of God's plan. Uh, and the reason they will come to understand this is because, of course, this ultimate law of karma, which does exist. I do believe karma exists. And uh, if you operate within the world of magic, you will notice that these laws exist and they will uh, interact with you as well, depending on how you interact with physical reality. It's at this point that I feel like I should bring up a prime example of what I'm talking about here. And it's a, uh, it's a section of verses from the Bible, actually. And it explains that although there are these powers that exist uh, outside of physical reality that can alter physical reality, they need to be approached in a very particular way. And what I'm going to be reading from here is chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to, mere, to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You will notice here that in the Bible there is a very clear description of psychic phenomena, of magical phenomena, uh, miracles, healing, prophecy. And in fact, this is sanctioned as long as it is understood as being a variety of the one and single universal spirit which is what Christianity would call God. It is what the mystery language thinks of as this ultimate universalism. You can see where I'm getting at here. You can see that although there are these sort of forces at work, we need to approach them with a certain level of respect, and we need to approach them with the ultimate wisdom, which is that there is a greater force at work that we do not quite understand, and we need to approach that very respectfully. Now, for those in the audience who do want to start approaching magic and ritual um, themselves for whatever reason, uh, whether they do want to alter physical reality, uh, in which case I would say be very careful. Uh, I've already given a few warnings uh, surrounding this. 
but also uh, for those who want to perform ritual simply to become closer to the immaterial world, which certainly ritual allows us to do um, as a spiritual person or a religious person, uh, I'm just going to go over some of the basics of uh, ritual and how a ritual can be performed. And, you know, a ritual can be as simple as uh, just going outside and saying some words uh, in the natural surrounding, <clears throat> or it can be very complex and involve multiple participants and be uh, very symbolic and et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, how the ritual is performed is entirely up to the individuals involved in the ritual. Um, but let me just continue and go on. To explain the different parts of ritual and if you yourself want to perform a ritual how you could do this the first component of ritual is divination <clears throat> is communicating with the spirits beforehand maybe even days beforehand to determine whether or not this ritual needs to be performed to determine if it is in the best interest of everybody involved if this ritual is done uh, this can be you done using the tarot cards. Uh, you can ask whether or not you should perform this ritual, um, whether it will have the best effect on your life. Um, you can do this with the I Ching. You can do this through prayer uh, by speaking with those spirits that you're close with. Um, <clears throat> but if the ritual, if what you found out is that the ritual should be performed, the next step is to prepare everything and to get all of your materials together to do your research um, and then plan out a time in which to do this ceremony. Now, the timing of the ceremony is incredibly important. Every day and, in fact, every hour has a planet associated with it and also um, <clears throat> the planets move through different zodiac signs during different hours of the day. And if you want, you can plan your ritual according to these factors. You can plan your ritual according to your own uh, timing system. Uh, but once you've determined the time that you will perform your ritual, now begins the actual act. And when the actual act is uh, ready to be done, you and all participants will prepare yourselves. This will usually in include some sort of uh, maybe disguising process. So you might wear masks, different clothes, talismans, amulets. Uh, you might, in fact, even bathe uh and clean yourself off with some sort of holy water or bath uh, before performing a ritual. And once you have <clears throat> prepared yourself, once all the partici participants have prepared themselves, you will then move on to preparing what we will metaphorically describe as the temple, which is also the space where the ritual will occur. Uh, preparation for the space is different depending on what type of ritual is being performed. Uh, the preparation might include an altar, a table, diagrams, seals, candles, incense, uh, books, uh, certain scrolls, or other tools that you will use. And so all of this needs to be collected uh, into the space which you will be using for the ritual. All the participants should then do some sort of banishing uh, ritual, some sort of mini banishing ritual, which will allow them to cleanse their energy and cleanse the area of any negative energies before they be begin the official ritual. 
And then the official ritual will begin, and whatever action has been designated, whether that is prayer, uh, dance, meditation, uh, whatever sort of action has been decided upon to be the actual ritual will then commence. And all participants will be involved in this, uh, the act will be carried out, and after that time, there will be a process of closing ceremonies usually. Um, this closing ceremony might involve uh, brief conversation amongst the participants. Uh, it might involve uh, some sort of closing prayer. Uh, it might involve some sort of um, feasting, let's say. Participants could bring food and there might be feasting at the end of the ritual. Uh, but whatever the closing ceremonies are, that will commence you will say goodbye and have a closing banishing ritual to get rid of any negative energies, but you will also say goodbye to any spirits who are there uh, or any deities or gods or God that is involved in the ritual, and then the ritual will be over, and you can leave that space. Traditionally, you will never leave the space while the ritual is being performed. And that gives you a kind of overview of how a ritual is performed and the foundations upon which ritual is based, which we know from the beginning of this episode, also kind of goes back to this idea of gnosis. Um, but yes, if you are looking to perform your own ritual, follow that sort of outline. That will get you to a place where you can begin to understand how a ritual is performed. And I just want to say that there might be those in the audience who are thinking about using magic and ritual as a means by which to ward off demonic uh, entities, shadow entities, um, negative entities, and forces. And I would say that this is a fairly good idea, that in most cases, magic and ritual can really assist in this process and allow you to communicate with divine forces that will intervene on your behalf. I think there's a lot of people out there who are afraid that they are plagued by certain uh, things that they cannot combat, but in fact, uh, all of the tools are right there at your disposal. All you need to do is take advantage of this system of ritual and magic. With that being said, uh, there are some dangers associated with this if the magician is not... Um, prepared enough or strong enough in relation to the demonic force that is opposing them, this could have a negative outcome. So you always want to make sure that you know what you're dealing with, that you're always taking necessary precautionary steps, that you're always researching, doing as much thorough research as possible, and that you are communicating through divination before performing any sort of actions. Uh, in this way, you might be able to combat those forces that are uh, at work in your life. And that pretty much sums up our discussion of magic ritual and uh, these sorts of phenomena. But there is something else that I wanted to include here at the end of the episode, and that is a uh, theory that was sent in to us anonymously. And this theory kind of explains where human beings came from and why we're on this planet and uh, kind of looks at all of this information. So let me just present this theory here to you. Please forgive me if I mispronounce any of the words. Humans weren't originally meant to be the dominant species, nor were we even the first visitors. 
Before us were a race of dragons, don't get your hopes up, they're basically just dinos, who would soon find themselves in a war against the vastly superior Hyperboreans, colloquial term Zanshinriki, which is, is what they called themselves, from planet Zanshinriki, a.k.a. Proxima Centauri C in the Proxima Centauri system. The war took many years to complete, with the Hyperborean advance being stalled at first in what is now Canada due to a disease, but in the end, it was a total victory for them. The Hyperboreans quickly set up their colonies, notably Lumeria and Atlantis, around 65 million years ago, as well as a firmament that would keep temperatures high to promote plant growth. The problem with this plan is that Hyperboreans are used to very cold temperatures, so they needed a race to do their work for them. They created humans meant to be a slave race, and looking close to their own appearance, unnaturally white, green eyes, three to four mil meters tall, covered in very short, very thin hair. Then came the deluge. A few Hyperboreans came to Earth and mated with the humans. Finding this disgusting, the Hyperborean High Command decided to flood the Earth on purpose to try and eradicate the creatures. But not before a few warned a human to try and preserve his race. Everything went down almost as planned, but the humans survived. Today there is no trace of the Hyperboreans on Earth. There is, however, an old base inside the moon that still exists, as well as the Hyperboreans themselves. Another note, Hyperborean tech is based off of a special type of crystal that is semi-mechanical, semi-organic. Thank you for sending in this theory. Uh, I'm very interested in this. I also have my own theories on uh, our origin and where we came from, and a lot of our ideas do seem to overlap here. Um, I'm very interested in these ancient civilizations and uh, how human culture evolved after the deluge. Uh, thank you once again for sending that in. And thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of the Seven Secrets podcast. If you have your own story or experience that you want to send in to us, or maybe an idea or a theory or really whatever you want to send in, you can do that. Uh, email us at the7secretspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's the7secretspodcast at gmail.com. Or visit us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash 7secrets. Here you can record your own story in your own words, and we'll feature it on a future episode. Thank you to everyone for joining us today on our discussion of magic, ritual, and all of these occult phenomena. And uh, tune in again. We'll be dissecting more mysterious, strange, and esoteric topics on our next episode. Thank you, and talk to you soon.